Well, my name is uh, Pastor Bob. I'm one of 10 pastors here at Bridgewater Church, and uh, just really have looked forward to talking to you about, uh, in this series, we're week two of three. This is what we do, and we're talking about giving. We give because Jesus Christ gave to us. And as was mentioned earlier, today is kind of the kickoff for our uh, 2013 Vision Giving Campaign. We're wanting to raise $500,000, and for five of these different um, things, the largest of which is uh, renovations for our Tonkanic campus building. That last year's uh, giving was able to allow us to uh, pay cash over $400,000 for that building. They are outgrowing their facility. They're doing three services, the first one at 8 a.m. They have three parking spots. They have over 300 people that come, and it's just crazy and in a great way. And so we want to get behind and do that. Um, last week also, I was like really encouraged to actually tell you a little story. So a lady on her way out, she said, she said, when I was a baby, you know what my first word was? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I think she was older than me. I, how am I going to? And you'd never guess. Her first word was shoe. Apparently, she just loved shoes, you know. But most kids, most babies, their first word is one of three things, right? Mama, dada or no, right? That's because they hear it the most. And even beyond no, I would say the first 100 words that most children learn, one of them, especially if they have siblings, is mine, right? Or me. And your job as a parent is to get your kids to look beyond and think beyond their own nose and beyond their own toes to other people. And so last Sunday was a really a great opportunity to do that because we did this um, Operation Christmas Child. So many parents and others of you who aren't even parents and just helping out and giving money toward this or bringing in gifts and moms and dads going shopping with their kids and buying gifts for these and bringing them in. And then last Sunday, we packed them all. And I'm here to tell you, we packed 111 boxes. And that's, yeah, that was really cool. And, and one of the, there's a, there is a man who is talking about, he does this actually every year on his own with his grandkids. And he was telling me, and it is exactly the kind of conversations we wanted this to spark. He'd say, you know, he's helping pack a box with a grandchild. And the child goes, I want that. But I want that toy. Like, I want that bear. And he says, yeah, exactly. You want that bear. God says to do to others as we would have them do to you. And that means give to others what we would want given to us. And so isn't this wonderful that we can, and I don't know how that conversation went, because if the child is young enough, I think the response would still be, but I want it. <laughs> you know, but our, our job as a church is not to train up and raise up your child to love the Lord. That's not our job as a church. That's your job as a parent. And there's no institution in the United States or anywhere on earth, including the church, that is supposed to take that job away from parents. But our job as a church, one of our jobs, is to help you help your kids follow and love Jesus. And, and you know what? When you, know, you can have these conversations with your kid, you know, it, isn't, it, isn't it fun to give? You know what? It makes me happy. It makes God happy. Imagine this kid getting this, how happy he or she's going to be. And so 111 of those boxes going different parts of the world. And then along with that, they work with local churches so that when they give these boxes out, they're also telling them about Jesus. So we're going to just continue to talk about giving today. 
And um, it's, it's ineffective, if not impossible, to lead people somewhere you've never been yourself. And so we, as, as grown-ups, need to tackle this idea of giving. So we're going to look at a story um, in the Bible. There are five biographies written about Jesus' life. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can guess who wrote them. Um, but anyway, so the, these biographies, though, if you have your app notes now, um, it, it mentions Mark and Luke and John, but we're going to just in the screen up here look at John's account of what's going on in this story. So after this, it says, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Bible sometimes includes quirky little things like this that seem insignificant, but are actually very important, very cool. Um, the Sea of Tiberias, if this took place 20 years previously, it would have been just called the Sea of Galilee. And if, if he had written this maybe 50 years or so after he had written this, it would be known as the Sea of Tiberias. But Tiberius was the ruling Caesar at this time, and they loved, they had no self-esteem problems, these Caesars, okay? And actually, they didn't name things. Their underlings would name things after them, right? It's kind of like, hey, please give me more money and power and don't kill me. I named a, a, a lake after you. Um, so so, that's, so it's, this is one of those little historical nuggets that, that really prove and led credibility to the fact that this was written by people who who were there. And so he mentions it's, it's known by both things because it was only recently renamed the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him, Jesus, wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him and it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Again, another little detail thrown into the story that helps us know what's going on. The Passover was kind of like the 4th of July, Christmas and Easter all put together for Jews. It was their liberation from Egypt, kind of their birth as a nation. Um, and, and it was the biggest holiday celebration that they had, and, and the, the best place to celebrate was in Jerusalem. In fact, if you've ever had a Passover with a Messianic Jew or another Jew, been invited and be a part of that, at the very end, one of the things they sing or say is, next year in Jerusalem. And they all say that every Passover because if you were, and if you lived during this time, if you had the means, you would make this pilgrimage at Passover to Jerusalem. And hundreds of thousands of Jews did that every year. The city would swell to, to, to five to ten times its normal size. And so what this is saying here is these people that are in this Galilee region that are listening and following Jesus, they're not just Galilee people. There are people from all over the Roman Empire. Some of them had probably traveled hundreds, maybe over a thousand miles to get there. And, and so the crowds are larger than normal. And Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Where can we? So they're out, you know, in the countryside, in a field on a hill, and, and Peter turns to Philip and says, where can we buy bread? How many of you remember, this was before COVID, I don't remember how many years ago, but Cabot, oil and gas, they, they put on a free lunch for anybody in Susquehanna County. Anybody, any of you remember that? How many of you were there? 
Yeah, free is my price point, okay, for lunch. And I think one of them was at the Montrose High School. I want to say that was the first time, and then they took it to the Hartford Fair after that. But the Montrose High School, they had this free meal, right? And, and everyone showed up. Okay, so Montrose officially has 1,800 people in town, and I think I remember them saying over 2,000 people came. And I was there, and I'm talking to people, and so where are you from? Well, I'm from Vestal. I'm like, it's taking our Susquehanna County lunch. What are you, carpetbagger? No, I didn't say that, but I thought it. Um, you know, in fact, I heard they ran out of food because the, 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 so many showed up. They're like, oh, my goodness. They went to Price Chopper and Scarfalatos, and they said, you know, we want to buy hamburgers. And they're like, how many? All of them. You know, they just, every, they're just feeding, feeding people whatever they could. And, and, you know, it's an issue. When thousands of people show up for dinner, it's a problem. And so Jesus is, is asking Philip, hey, these people need to eat. Uh, what, what do you think we should do? And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, talking about testing, maybe you feel like God has been testing you. And you know what? When God tests us, it's not like when other people test us. When other people test us, sometimes they test you wanting you to fail, right? Or, or, or just try, trying to see, well, are you tough enough? Are you good enough? Let's just get the measure. Whenever God tests us, it's to make us better. His goal is so that we would be... be more like Jesus, right? Greater in our character to become the best possible version of you that you could possibly be. And so that's what he's doing with Philip here, and that's what he's doing in your life as well. And maybe you're going through a test in your marriage, or maybe you're going through a test financially right now, or in your job, and you work with the absolute biggest jerks in the world, like nobody, like, and, or, or maybe your neighborhood or whatever, in your family, there's some drama or whatever, and, and you're, you feel like you're being tested, and maybe you are. But God wants something for you. He's not taking something from you. And so Philip, he replies, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Literally what he says is even if we had 200 denarii, 200 silver coins, it wouldn't be enough. Silver was worth a lot more back then than it is today. Essentially, he's saying if we had tens of thousands of dollars, it wouldn't be enough to, to buy food for all these people. In addition to that, there was no Walmart. There was no price chopper that he could stop by. I mean, where are you going to get food for all these people? And um, I think the natural question we ask and the normal question, if you live in reality, if you live in Philip's world, in fact, I like Philip in this story. I really identify with him because he responds the way I would have responded. Like, are you, we don't, like, we can't feed them. This is where I would put on my American, you know, bootstraps and say, you know what? Uh, these people, they're, they're, most of them are adults. Uh, they know that they've not had food. And they've come out here. I don't, think, I don't see how this is our problem, especially since we don't have any food either. And we're hungry. You know, let's, let's send them away. Let's, let's let them take personal responsibility for their own actions and lack of foresight. Well, Jesus, in one of the other passages, he says, well, we can't do that. If we send them home, they, they may collapse in, in, along the way because, again, some of them aren't coming from Galilee. They're coming from even farther away, and they'd used up all the food that they had. The natural question, what can I afford? Well, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. So Simon and, Peter and Andrew 
uh, brothers, they grew up with Philip in the same town as he did. So maybe he's trying to come to this rescue. He says, well, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that in, a, in such a huge crowd? Can you imagine? It's, it'd kind of be like, you know, you show up to a fundraising meeting, and they're like, we want to raise $500,000. We're open for ideas. And you're like, oh, you know what? This kid gave me $8.23 on my way in. <laughs> you know, why even mention that? We're trying to raise $500,000. You got $8.23. Like, anyone else? Anyone? But this, and, and so he throws in, Andrew throws in this little thing at the end, like, I'm kind of ashamed to even bring it up. What good is that? What can I afford? We cannot afford to feed these people. This is a problem that is too big for us. We, we can't do it, so, so let's not even try. And then Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000. And so who knows how big this cry, crowd is, but it's, it's enormous. And have you ever, you ever gotten annoyed at God, how sometimes he doesn't let you know what your life is about? Like, it's your life. Like, you, sh you should be on the inside track of knowing what he's doing in your life. But here at this point with his disciples, they don't know what they're doing. They know they have five, like, dinner rolls and two fish. Okay, and these were probably not salmon, all right? These were probably, this is one boy, probably one boy or one man could eat all of this and, you know, probably not be hungry, maybe still be hungry. Some of you, I was talking to a guy beforehand, uh, he would still be hungry. I don't know where he is, but um, Nick. Uh, but uh, Nick and Janet, Nick. And anyway, but so, so like they're sitting everyone down they don't think that they're going to get food, right? They, they don't know what's going on. Jesus hasn't explained it to them. They're thinking, you know, if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, okay, we're sitting them down so Jesus could give a good fasting speech, <laughs> you know, and, and then they're going to walk home. Like, what, what is going on? And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. I mean, it, it was unprecedented miracle. In fact, there are only two miracles mentioned in all five biographical accounts of Jesus's life, the resurrection of Jesus and this one. So this made an impact on the disciples, more so than when he raised Lazarus from the dead. All of them don't mention that. More than when he healed 10 lepers. All of them don't mention that. Like, they all mention this miracle. And I think one of the reasons why is, is the times in my life, maybe the times in your life where you have grown the most is when you had to trust God because you couldn't fix it. Right? You are faced with a problem that, that, that was too big for you, that, that you could not handle. And maybe, maybe it was a problem with your kids. 
Maybe it was a problem, you know, in your own life financially. You know, the story that, that Ryan told earlier about the little girl who accepted Christ as her Savior and her three siblings have accepted Christ and her mom and dad were baptized here two years ago. You know, in her baptism story, Alyssa's mom basically said, I forget exactly the time period, but about 12 years ago, she was with her two older daughters, a single mom in a homeless shelter, had lost everything she had in a flood. And God takes a woman with her two daughters in a homeless shelter, and 12 years later, she's married. They have two more kids. They're involved in small groups, a small group here, two small groups actually, and they have friends, and they love the Lord, and God has provided for them. They recently were able to buy a second vehicle. And, 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 and he did that with a woman in a homeless shelter. And, and what can God do with, with little old you and, and what you have and what he's given you? And maybe it isn't enough. You know, we ask that question, you know, what can I afford? But this is the question that Jesus asked his disciples setting up this whole miracle. He asked them, what do you have? And, and that's a better question. Because God loves to, to use the little bit that we have to do and multiply and do amazing things with it. He loves to take almost nothing and turn it into something. And um, God's abundance reality is in stark contrast to our scarcity mentality. Um, total dependence on God feels absolutely terrible, <laughs> but it really is a wonderful place to be. Um, there's, uh, this is kind of how we think. The problem's this big. I have this much. Like, what's the point? See, because Satan and a scarcity mentality, Satan wants us to believe the lie that, that, that we shouldn't even try, that there is no hope, that, that it all, and if it all depended on us, that would be true. Right? If, if it was just the disciples there by themselves and there is no God or whatever, it would be a hopeless situation. They might even have a riot on their hands. Thank you for coming. Please leave. Um, you, you know, and, and it would just not go well. But, but when we factor in God, God has an abundance mentality and he shows this to us in creation all the time. How many, of you, how many of you would say apple pie is one of your five favorite desserts? Raise your hand. Top five. How many would say top one, top dessert, apple pie? There we go. All right. Well, before you can make an apple pie, you got to go apple picking, right? And uh, apple trees are just amazing things. You can count the apples on a tree. I think one year, I'm trying to think if it was both of our trees, two trees had 500 apples on them. But you know, easily one tree could have a hundred apples on it, you know, and how long that tree, uh, I, I, I was doing math and a, and a typical apple tree could easily get, uh, there's five seeds at least in a typical apple, sometimes more than five, but typically five seeds. And so a typical apple tree could make a hundred thousand seeds in its lifetime, easily, easily, some many times more. And so a hundred thousand seeds from one seed. And then that 100,000, if each of those seeds grew into an apple tree, they each could make 100,000 seeds each. That's 10 billion seeds. 
10 billion seeds in two generations. You can have enough apples for every human being on the planet in two generations. And, and that's God's abundance reality. And it's in contrast to our scarcity mentality. You can count the apples on a tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? The scarcity mentality is exemplified by a man by the name of Thomas Malthus, who wrote a book about it in 1798. And it was about overpopulation of earth. You see, because he saw as a scientist, it was as clear and a scientific, solid proof that the almost one billion people on earth, when he wrote his book, was far too many. And, and in fact, if it grew, if the population of earth were to double, there would be mass starvation and, and, and there would not be enough for people on the earth to live. And so he wrote this book, and, and this, this was, has become even more popular even as the centuries that have followed have proved it totally wrong. In fact, you know who drew great inspiration from Thomas Malthus's work? Charles Darwin inspired him in his theories. But here's the truth. One billion people then are now eight billion people now and, and scientists say we could easily feed 16 billion people on earth right now. Easily. See, we have this scarcity mentality built into us, though. There's only so much of that pie to go around, right? And, and who, it's, it's, the, it's the Thanos Avengers, right? How do we make the world better? Eliminate half of everyone who's alive. Right? Because there's only so much to go around. Jesus is teaching his disciples, you know what, that's true. If, if you weren't made in the image of God, and if there is no God, and if this world wasn't a God-made world. But it is. And there is an abundance with God that he shows us in creation and nature and, and that, that we need to internalize. And it's, it's easy to say, okay, yeah, 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 there's about 16 billion people, whatever. But my life, there's a limited amount. And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying to be crazy and all of that financially or anything like that, but, but just to realize that you can trust God and to encourage you to trust God with whatever little that you have and not think that the way that you give generously is you wait until you have more, and you wait until you have a lot, and then you can start being generous. No, the, the most generous that you can be is when, and the easiest to be generous is when you just have a little. What would it take to reach 10% of America for Jesus? 10% of America, I think, I think we need to reach 90% of America or more, but but 10% of America would be 34 million people. That would be approximately 18,000 more Bridgewaters or 60,000 more congregations like we have here in Montrose. Financially, that would mean about 30 to $40 billion a year. 10% of America. Does anyone have a plan for that? If you do, you're, I'm glad no one raised their hand. You're nuts. You're crazy. There is no plan like that. It's too big. Okay, well, let's scale it down. How about Susquehanna County? Let's reach 10% of Susquehanna County. And, and that's, that'd be 3,700 people. Broome County is like 200,000 people. 
you know, where Hancock is, Delaware County, that's, that's like even bigger than Susquehanna County as well, you know, and, and, and so how do you reach 3,700 people? Well, again, that would be a lot of, almost seven more churches the size of this one here. It would mean, I, I did the math, 247 more small groups of 15 people each. We have like a little over 30 small groups here in Montrose. 250 more? Like logistically, that's just crazy. It's too much. But this is where, you know what, we need to focus on what God wants us to do, what God wants you to do. What if you could just bring one person to Jesus Christ? Now that's manageable. Do you have one person maybe that you'd want to invite to church? Do you have one person that you want to start a conversation with about, about deeper things, about spiritual things that you could plant, plant some seeds? One at a time. You know, of course we don't have 30 to $40 billion to reach 10% of the United States. But do you have, you know, $8.23? Well, what good is that when the need is so great? The, the question we need to ask isn't what can I afford? Can I do this? It's just what do I have? And last week, I, I promised you I'd tell you about the three steps to giving. I told you two steps. Number one is flip-flop giving. That's why I preached in flip-flops last Sunday. And it wasn't as chilly as I thought. But um, flip-flop giving is to give regularly. And I don't, you know, I, my guess is most of us aren't doing that here. Every time you get a check, and if, and if you're a kid here, maybe it's uh, you don't have a job, right? Maybe it's you, you get a Christmas uh, money from grandma, you know. Every time you get money to take something of that and give it away. Um, give regularly, and to do that on a regular basis, like breathing, right? And, and flip-flops, compared to being barefoot, are just a huge improvement, right? You can go on that. You can follow Jesus across the hot sand on a beach. You can walk on gravel and not, like, like hurt yourself. Um, and the older you get, the more you need. Man, little kids, they don't need shoes, but we do. So giving regularly just opens up another, a whole world of generosity and thanksgiving and blessing. And, and again, we don't give so that God gives money back, okay? This is not a, an enormous Ponzi scheme, okay? You give $100 and God will give you 1000 No, when, when we give, He does bless our giving, but it's, it's a blessing in, in in, in physical and non-tangible ways, and maybe even financially, but not necessarily. So um, we talked about that last week. Give regularly, then give proportionately. And that's why I'm in sneakers today. So, so um, sneaker giving. And that's proportionate is like pick a percentage. So the Old Testament says 10%, actually 13 and a third percent, at least some say 23%. But whatever it is, just pick a percentage of giving and say, I'm going to give this percentage. And, and that way, as your income grows, especially if you're young, this is a great strategy because then you learn to live on enough. And then as you make more, you have a capacity to give more instead of consuming more. And sneakers are a game changer, man. Not, not only can you go more places than you can with flip-flops, but you can go faster with sneakers, right? 
And, and, and they're just so much more helpful. And you can wear them in the winter and not just in the summer, right? Although there are a few crazy people who wear. Um, but what's the third, the third step? So some of you, if, and, and this is my, you can, you can skip all these and go right to step three if you want, you know. Um, but, but I would recommend if you aren't giving regularly, do that. Like, just do that, okay? But, but if you're already doing this, then, you know what? Give proportionately. Say, you know what? I think we can give 10% this year. You know, I think I, think I can start doing that. I'm going to test God and see if I can do that. And then if you're already doing that, you're giving 10%, 20%, whatever. The third step is give sacrificially. Um, that's a 500-some dollar boot. That's crazy, um, but hiking boots, hiking boots is a real adventure shoe. Okay. You're going beyond sneakers. You're, you're, you're going off road. You're, you're going into the mountains. You're going into the, into the swamps, into the deserts, wherever a hiking boot is a real adventure. And the adventure of giving sacrificially is amazing how God can provide. So I wanted to end right there, but I told God that if it went, if I actually had time, I would talk more personally. Per- personally, I'm not sure I've ever given sacrificially. I've given 10%, 20%. There's one year we gave over 33% of our income away. But sacrificial giving, giving so much that like I don't even have enough food to eat, and, and again, I, I, as, as a dad, I need to take care of my family. That is important. <laughs> and we were talking as a small group about this uh, last Sunday afternoon, and someone brought up the fact that if you owe money, that means you have promised to pay someone. And, and if you give away the money that you've promised to pay someone else, you're not giving away your own money. You're stealing and giving away someone else's money. So, so I'm not saying to do that either. And this is why, in fact, one of the biggest barriers for most people, you ask them, why don't you give more? Biggest barrier is fear. But another barrier beyond fear is because I owe so much. That's why it's so important. Like, don't, don't go into debt. If you're in debt, don't go into debt more. Get rid of your credit cards. Average percentage rate is like 22% now on a credit card. It's crazy. And I don't think it's going down. Don't go into debt for college. That's what everybody does. No, no, they don't. Okay? The wealthiest people group in the United States, do you know what they are? Indians from India, not Native Americans that we're not supposed to call Indians anymore. Indians, do do you think they go into debt for college? Nope. You know, don't go into debt because it just shackles you from an ability. And if you are in debt, man, dig out of that. Like, like your life depended on it. In fact, the Bible says like, like a deer escaping from a trap. You know, like, like you're going out hunting and, you know, you, you fire that thing off and it, the bullet, man, that deer is off, you know. It's not like the rest of the year when you scare a deer and they like kind of jog a little bit and stop and look back and like, <laughs> you know, no, like during hunting season, they are, they are sprinting away. And they're like, man, even if you shoot me now, my meat will taste terrible. Like, you know, and all this. And, and so, but to, to, to just 
to just trust God and get out of debt so that you can give. Give sacrificially. In the New Testament, there is no percentage given except for one. The boy with the five loaves and two fish, how much did he give to Jesus? 100%. When the widow was giving in the offering and she gave two small coins and Jesus said that was the biggest gift, what percentage did she give of her net worth? She gave 100%. When Barnabas, son of encouragement, uh, brought, sold a field, sold his property. We all know in Susquehanna County, how long do you hold on to land? Forever. That's right. That's the right answer. You know? And so he sold his property. And what percentage does he, did he give to the apostles? 100%. See, the New Testament doesn't have a percentage except that it does. 100% giving. And I, I've never given 100%. Okay? Honestly. Right, so I can't lead you where I haven't been, but I do want to invite you to where I have been, which is at least the first two footwear, and to think about that third footwear. And, and you know, it's different for different people. Some people might give sacrificially in ways that I would say, oh, that's not a sacrifice, that's pretty easy, you know. I drink water all the time anyway, you know, giving up soda, that's not a sacrifice. But for others, it'd be like, man, boy, and ju but just, just to to just enter the adventure of giving. It, it really is. Jesus said it, and it's, if you can't find where he said it, it's because it's an Acts. Paul quotes Jesus. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and it's, just, it's just fun. And to see God work and to see God move. And uh, I just want to invite you to do that with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would give me more faith and less fear and give me wisdom to know how to lead, to know how to give, to know how much. And I ask that you give everyone here wisdom as well. And Lord, we think of this $500,000 goal. We think of other needs in this world around us and they just seem too big, too much, too hard. Lord, help us not to focus on what we have and what we can afford. Help us not to focus on what we can afford, but just to focus on what's in our hand and uh, what we can. And not only in giving, but in doing. Help us to do what we can, as long as we can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.